Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see everyone. Let me welcome again everybody who's streaming or podcasting later, everybody who's in the room. We're honored to have you. And I want to say welcome to Christmas at Community of Hope. How many of you are having a little bit of a hard time believing that we're almost in December and the year is almost over? How many of you would say, amen, let this year be over? Right? It just feels like, oh my goodness. Yeah, here we are in the Christmas season in the next... uh, week here. Uh, we will. Uh, we have staff and volunteers will be decorating Christmas. When you come in next week, it's going to be beautiful. This is that middle space between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and here we are. Uh, in fact, before I, I launch into what I want to have planned for us today, uh, I want to even throw the ball out a little bit further uh, beyond the Christmas season. Uh, we're thinking about January 2022, which is kind of weird to even talk about. Um, but I need your help on something. I want everybody to get out your phone. Get your phone out right now. Wave it to me so I you see it. I know this is rare in church. We always say, put your phone away. I want you to get your phone out. More of you, get your phone out. Okay, give it to the person to the left. No, just kidding. Just relax. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to put a QR code up on the screen. Take a picture of that right now. Tap in on that. And we want to ask you, we're going to move back to three services on a Sunday morning uh, in January, and we're wanting to know, uh, we're going we're gonna to pull the congregation. Do we do 9, 10, 30, and noon, or do we do, do, we do 8, 10, 8, 30, 10, and 11, 30? 9, 10, 30, and noon, or 8, 30, 10, and 11, 30? If you snap on that QR code, you can get your vote in, and uh, we'll, see, we'll see how we do on that. Now, now, if you've done that, put your phone away. All right, and so here we are. We are in the Christmas season. Um, I was thinking about what to share on, on this weekend, this kind of middle space between one you know, holiday and the other. And I was thinking about Christmas, and one of the things I was thinking about that we have learned here at Community of Hope throughout the years, we have learned that uh, the Christmas season or the month of December represents really for most people one of the most spiritually inquisitive times of the entire year. If you didn't know that, I want you to know that. In fact, here's what I would tell you. If you have, how many of you uh, have friends or family that you uh, wish, you pray, walked a little closer to the Lord? Anybody? Yeah. Uh, Here's what I would tell you. December is a unique month in that uh, people who are normally not very, very spiritually inquisitive find themselves uniquely drawn to spiritual things in December more than any other time of the year. Isn't that interesting? Those who study that kind of stuff tell us this is true, and they tell us there's probably any number of reasons why this is true. Sometimes people will point to nostalgia, and they'll go, you know, in December, we all are kind of thinking about times in the past. Maybe we're remembering friends or family that are no longer with us. We're all just a little bit more kind of emotional, you know, uh, in December. That might be a a reason. Uh, Other people point out that it's all the festivity. It's all the lights. In fact, um, Christmas 
And the season of December is often referred to as the season of light. And so there's that idea. Some who look at it from a, more of a spiritual or, or theological perspective say this. Well, they say, you know, the Bible says that God has placed eternity in the human heart. And so maybe because, you know, we think about the advent of the Christ, the coming Christ child, all of this stuff, it taps on uh, in on the way that we've been created in God's image. And so, you know, there's that kind of reasoning. But beyond all of that, whatever we might want to say, it's just interesting to me as a pastor that the Christmas season represents one of the most spiritually inquisitive times of the entire year. And uh, you look at some of the traditions that we engage in, there are spiritual realities underneath those, uh, those traditions. Uh, many of us, how many of you, I would tell you for my family, the Locke family, um, we, uh, 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 the day after Thanksgiving is the time when all Thanksgiving comes down and Christmas goes up. I don't know if that's what happens in your house. It's like a tradition, uh, and it's something I better get up and march to that because that's coming in my house, okay? And uh, yesterday, I was with uh, my family, our girls uh, and their husbands, and we all uh, met together, and we went and picked out our Christmas tree. Uh, In times past, this is I I just become increasingly more thankful for the guys that are now in my house, (laughs) because this used to be a thing where it would take forever. We would go look for trees. It would be like this. There was like some mystery thing that we're looking for. We showed up at Home Depot. We were done in three minutes yesterday. (laughs) All right, guys, we popped on it. We had it out. It was like done. This all kind of thing. There are all these sort of traditions. One of the, you know, it's kind of interesting to think even the tradition of the Christmas tree. There's spiritual realities behind that. If you study beyond the fact that, you know, there was back in the day, think with me about this. Somebody came up with this bright idea, right? Let's go out in the meadow. Let's cut down a tree. Let's pull it into our house and let's light candles and put them all over it. Come on, you guys. Before we were digital, we were analog. This is what we would do. And somebody had that bright idea. It'll be fantastic. Fire everywhere. (laughs) And so we light light things. In fact, uh, over here, I want to show you. We're going to light this morning a candle. One One of the traditions the church has observed for for down through the centuries is lighting a candle in the Advent wreath to commemorate some of the deeper meanings of the Christmas season. There's so much spiritual mystery that's going on, we're all almost trying to double down, if you will, to better understand it. Uh, Those who teach us about this tradition of lighting an Advent candle and an Advent wreath tell us that, you know, really this goes all the way back to the Middle Ages, where people were trying to kind of better understand some of the deeper meanings of the Christmas season. There was a a guy in Germany who was a Lutheran pastor, and I think it was in the 19th century that he uh, was particularly uh, uh, being used of God in Germany for his ministry with the urban poor. And his name was, I think, Johann Weikern. I think we have a picture of him. This is the guy who really popularized this idea that we would light candles to talk of these realities. And you ever wondered where all of that comes from? Why we, why we light stuff? Why we think about the festival of lights? 
I think it all comes from the story of the life of Jesus, but it comes from a very particular place. It comes from John's gospel. And John writes the most unique gospel of all four. Some of you have heard me say this before. We have, we have Matthew's gospel, where Matthew was, uh, wrote as a Jewish person to Jewish people, showing uh, his own uh, familial line, his own kin, that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. Mark's gospel was the oldest gospel, and he just wrote in kind of a uniform way that we would understand all these essential truths about Jesus' life. Luke's gospel uh, was written, uh, I think Luke was the only Gentile, and Luke wrote in a way that we would understand. He was a physician. He told all these great stories. He particularly, most of the miracle stories we get from the gospel of Luke. But John's, John's gospel is totally different. And scholars tell us that it's different because John is the only uh, disciple that didn't suffer martyrdom. Uh, people made attempts on his life. And you've heard me say this before. He escaped every attempt. And so scholars believe that because John was older, he lived older, and he already knew what was written, that maybe John wanted to give a different perspective on, on what is important for us to understand about the life of Jesus. Many of you have heard me share before, one of my favorite stories uh, about the, the John the Beloved is that one historian says that because he lived uh, to a reasonably old uh, uh, age, back in biblical times, that people would, that Christians would gather and, and, and people would bring John the Beloved into those gatherings. They would carry him in. He couldn't walk any longer. And they would carry him in and, and parents, moms and dad, would hold their kids up and let them look down to see John the Beloved disciple. So they could say, he, was, he saw Jesus in the flesh. And then, you know, they say that that's where John would, you know, some of that writing where John would say, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God. And so John writes the, the, from an interesting kind of perspective. And I was thinking about what I think John contributes that we would understand as we begin this march through the season of December. And I was thinking about this, and I thought, here, here would be a way that maybe we could tee this up. What, what if this morning, let's pretend that we don't have Matthew's gospel. Let's pretend for a moment we don't have Mark, or we don't have Luke. All we have is John's gospel. And what would John want us to know? And what is important to John? And I think it's going to become self-evident, and, and so I want to read to you how John begins his gospel. And this is how he records it. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. He says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was, in fact, God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Watch how many times he says this. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is a different John. And he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that 
Through him all might believe, and he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. For the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him, and he came to that which his own was his own, but his own did not receive him. And yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of a natural descent, nor of a human decision, or of a husband's will, but rather born of God. And so the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. When We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now John testified concerning Him, and he cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me, and Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came, though, through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Let's pray. You know, Lord, we stand in this weird space in this moment. We stand uh, having just, you know, celebrated one of the the big celebrations of our era, of our culture. And we stand now at the doorway to begin to go through the Christmas season. God, I pray that you would touch every person who's here that you would give a special dispensation, a special sense of your Holy Spirit's wisdom and leading so that as we enter into this season, maybe this December would not just be like any other December or every other December. Might it be different that we would hearken back toward deeper understanding of the great truths of the life of Jesus, that his life might be lived through ours in a way that is compelling and healing and honoring to you. This we pray in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. So pretending, right, we only have one gospel. We only have one uh, expression, one historical expression that we might hold on to that would teach us about the life and the witness and the ministry and the death and the resurrection of Jesus? What would, what would John want to say to us? What would John want us to understand? And I, I think there are really two themes. There, there are two themes. One theme is light. That's why we lit a candle. That Jesus is the light of the world. And so whenever we see light, we, we are reminded that Jesus is the light of the world, that that God has come in the presence of Jesus and, uh, and, and into our darkness, there has come a light. And that light is not a light that will ever fade or perish or go out or become yellowed and aged over time, but it's a light that will continue to grow until it reaches its full bright potential in our lives. The other idea that I think is interesting is that, is that John wants us to get a broader picture of who Jesus is. 
And he centers his theme around the idea of home. And when I read John's gospel, and if I think that we only had John's gospel to teach us about who Jesus actually is, I see three really big ideas I want to give them to you. The first big idea is simply what I'm calling big idea one. John wants us to know Jesus' true home. And and because he wants us to know that, it'll tell us something about who Jesus is. This is, this is what I'm thinking of when I, when I think of this idea. Uh, when you read Matthew's gospel Matt, and Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel, here's what I want you to know. They only talk about Jerusalem. They only talk about Nazareth. They only talk about Bethlehem. John goes further, and he lifts up the picture, and he said, actually, when you think about it, what John would want us to know is Jesus isn't just from Nazareth or isn't just from Bethlehem. Jesus is from, the way we would say it, I guess, is heaven. And because he's from heaven, he didn't have a beginning, and he didn't have an end. And I I think it's kind of interesting that we would talk about that Because this is part of the cultural narrative. Still yet today, I think you'd agree with me, we often want to know where people are from, right? Uh, I am a third-generation Floridian. That makes my kids fourth-generation Floridians. I've shared the story before that my dad, who was from New England and was a, a, a Navy man, met my mom, who was a civilian secretary on a naval base, and they met and fell in love. And when my dad would date my mom, because my mom was a, a, a generational Floridian, my dad was not well-received because he was a Yankee. And in fact, my great-grandmother, when my dad, I've shared this story, I believe, my dad would come over to on Sunday, would go to church with my mom's family, and then after church, he would, he would come over to, to eat lunch, and he would be with them. And because he was a Navy guy, which whatever that means, and because he was from New England... My great-grandmother didn't really care for him, and she would come out on the front porch and water her plants, and she would squirt water on my dad, (laughs) hoping maybe he'd go away. And so, you know, but my, and so this is, you know, kind of how our story goes and how it begins. When when I flew out to Texas to ask Beth uh, to be my wife, I wanted to ask her dad, you know, first if I could marry her. He wanted to know all about me and where I was from. And I'll never forget, I've shared this before. He said, you know, wherever you're going to live, he said, I want you to bring her back. And I did. I would, I would bring her back. There are a few times I wanted to leave her. No, I've just, but I'd <laughs> bring her back. But that's not true. I, don't, don't tell her I said that because that's not true. Listen to how John says it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Hear it? Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, and that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And beyond learning where Jesus comes from, I think John is telling us this because John wants us to know what this means. And it means this, everyone. Jesus is God in human flesh. Here's what I want to remind everybody in a space like this. We are not given the opportunity for any other options about who Jesus is. 
We gotta vote Jesus in or out on who he claims to be. We sometimes talk about him as a good guy, as a reasonable person, as a prophet. I remember years ago, I was uh, driving around town and a guy pulled up behind me, had a license plate on the front, you know, and it said, Jesus is my homeboy. And I remember thinking, Jesus is a lot of things, but bro, he ain't your homeboy. He's God in human flesh. And we got to vote him in or out on that. C.S. Lewis wrote it this way. He said, um, Jesus never claimed to be anything but God. And so you and I have to vote him in or out on that, on that merit. He's either a liar, he's either crazy, a lunatic, he wrote, or he's God in human flesh. And this is what, this is what I think John is wanting to communicate to us. You and I don't have any other options. These are the options. Jesus' home is not an earthly home. It's a heavenly home. And, and, and so we have to understand that. And so if we really want to know the cultural narrative, this is an important thing. I, I was thinking about this because we have so many images of the idea of home. I was driving around a while back, and, and I had my radio on. I had Country Station on, and, I, and, and Alan Jackson's song came on. You, you guys probably know it, uh, Where I Come From. How many of you all know that song? Let me just see, because we're in Loxahatchee. You better nail this. He says this, where I come from, he says what? It's what? Cornbread and chicken. You're already better than nine o'clock right now. Where I come from, it's a lot of front porch sitting. Where I come from, oh, you went down. It's hard to make a living and working hard to get to heaven where I come from. But this idea is a theme, right? I, 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 I looked this up. So many songs, one of the number one themes of people who write music in our culture still yet today is the theme, listen to this, of home. Um, here's, some, here's some big ones. Ed Sheeran's song, Castle on a Hill. Jack Johnson's, it is a great song, song, uh, song Home. John Denver, Take Me Home. Small Town by John Cougar Mellencamp. My Hometown by the boss himself, Bruce Springsteen. Sweet what, Alabama? All right, I need to get one. All right. <laughs> Who says you can't go home by John, uh, Bon Jovi? Coming home by Leon Bridges. Home by Johnny Swim. Home by Dirks Bentley. There's one of my wife's favorite songs. She cried like a baby the first time she, she heard it. The House That Built Me by Miranda Lambert, right? This idea is a theme in our culture. John wants you and I to know where Jesus comes from. And because if we know where he comes from, here's the thing. You and I might actually come to understand who he is. So that's one idea. But there's another one that's closely related to it. Big idea number two, if you're taking notes, is, is this idea. G, John wants us to know that Jesus left his home. And when we understand that he left his home, what we can understand is we can, we can know why he left his home. John says it like this in John chapter 1, verse 9. Listen to how carefully he says this. The true light, he says, that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who do receive him, 
To those who believe in his name, he gives them the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. John wants us to know why he left home, because this will help us understand what he's like. Do you all remember the first time you left home? I mean, the first time you really left home. Um, I was thinking about this. I was... uh, my, my parents, my family moved over to Palm Beach County in 1978. I think I've shared part of this story before, where in 1978, we moved over. I was a sophomore in high school, so I did my junior high school year, my senior high school year here in Palm Beach County, John I. Leonard, go Leonard Lancers. And, uh, and, then, and then I went right to Palm Beach Atlantic College. This is when it was this tiny little school over there. And I went four years over there, and then I felt a calling to into ministry, and I said, gosh, i got to go to seminary. The seminary I chose was Asbury Theological Seminary outside of Lexington, Kentucky, and so my family took me up to Lexington, Kentucky. Now, what I want you to know, I had lived in my home longer than most people you know, who are growing up live in their home, but my, mom, my folks take me up to Lexington, and they drop me off, and for some reason, my mom got very emotional about that. I don't know, it represents a transition, we all know that, but, but I was leaving, I was out of the house, and I mean, it's understandable, I'm a fantastic guy, and so... You know, there was all this kind of stuff. But she tells this great story that she said when she left, they left me. My dad was probably ready to leave me, right? So they, they left, and, and she was all emotional about it, and, and she cried. All, she, she wrote me a letter and said, I cried all the way to Lexington. And then we got to Lexington, we got on I-75, and we lumbered down I-75, and I was just crying, and it just represented all this change that's going on in the family. And my dad didn't know what to do with her. He takes her, he pulls over at this restaurant and going to take her to breakfast. And, he, and she said, she wrote, she said, I'm crying at breakfast. And the waitress comes up and says, you know what, what's happened? And she said, well, we just, we just dropped the son off and he's probably not going to live with us anymore. And she goes, how old's your son? She goes, 23. <laughs> and I think this, I think she was like, ooh, you know, kind of a thing. And so you think about the first time you left home. I remember when Haley, our older daughter, she went to PBA. And so we lived just, you know, right off Okeechobee. And my wife said that we, we, she drove her over to PBA and, and they would alternate laughing and crying because you're leaving, but it's only five miles away. <laughs> you know? I remember when Shelly left the house and she did a little stint at FSU and I'm a Gator family. And I can remember her at FSU, and and I remember learning the fight song at FSU, thinking, my God, what has happened to my life? (laughs) You know, we all leave home. But here's, you ever thought about this? Why did Jesus leave his home? He left his home so he could show you what God is like. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. The older I get in my faith, the more I've come to believe that any part of my character, my thought life, my words, my actions that reflect and look and mirror Jesus Christ, I recognize in that moment I am growing in my faith. People have lots of opinions about God. Let me tell you the prevailing opinion that you ought to be focused on is who Jesus is and what his life represents and how your life 
can model His. And when we look at a closer picture of of Jesus' life, John gives us two indicators, and it's the only place you find them in the Bible. And it's in verse 14 of John chapter 1. I want you to see it. He says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. And there it is, full of grace and full of truth. What does Jesus look like? He looks like grace. Grace, if you want to know and you don't know, it's this. It's unmerited favor. It's receiving what you don't deserve. And when we learn about the love of Jesus and when we learn about the sacrifice of Jesus and we learn about his death and his burial and his resurrection so that you could be separated from your sin, here's what I want you to know. We're all receiving in that moment what we don't deserve. And that's grace. And here's what I want to just say, if I could push just a moment, and I'm going to. We all love grace. It's the other part we struggle with, which is truth. And and, and the Bible says that when Jesus came, and and he's helping us understand who God is, we're we're learning in that moment that God is 100% graceful, which we need right to know, and he's 100% truthful. And that's a dangerous mix. I I, I want to say, I think as a church, general, capital C church, we've not done good with truth. Here's what I think. We love truth for everybody else. We hate it for ourselves. Am I right? That's just kind of the idea. I I always think when, when people, anytime people use the phrase, take the plank out of your own eye, in reference to somebody else, you're not using that verse right. It's meant for us. When, whenever we, we, we talk about judging people outside of the church, here's what I want to remind everybody. We're not supposed to do that because they're not in the church. The Bible says we should never judge people outside of the church. We should only judge and hold accountable people who are in the church. And so when we look at the Bible and we look at this understanding, Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. And and here's what I want to remind you, because this is such a spiritually inquisitive time in December. Whenever you as a follower of Jesus live the truth of Christ out in your life, you are heightening spiritual curiosity with your unchurched friends and family. I have come to believe this they will be less interested in Christ just learning about the grace you've received, but more interested about Jesus by the truth that you live. This is really important. And we have a tendency to struggle in that area. So so John says this, Jesus' true home is heaven. And then then John says, Jesus left heaven his home, to show us what God is like. What's God like? He's full of grace, and he's full of truth. And then, here's the last one, big idea number three. Jesus reminds us that we can always go back home. I was meeting a friend 
for coffee, which is something I do. And he was telling me about his home life. And his home life, honestly, was less than stellar. It wasn't great. In fact, what I would tell you about my friend's home life, it was unsafe. And uh, he kept a lot of secrets. But he said this to me, and I'll never forget it. He said, I reached a moment when I got old enough to leave. And this is exactly what he said, y'all. He said, and so I left home, and I never looked back. And I, I thought about that for a moment, and we're sitting at the table in this kind of awkward silence, and I said to him, you know, I said, I don't, I don't mean to, to push or to be awkward, but in a way, makes you kind of homeless. And he said, you know what? I haven't thought of it that way. But you're right. And I think one of the ideas behind the spiritual curiosity of a time like this is because so many of us have kind of done some business with the perfection of God, and we don't understand the grace part of God, and we certainly don't understand the truth part, and that the truth often is a way that God manifests His healing in our lives. We live in this awkward tension, and we feel like we can never truly go back home. And here's the thing I want you to know. Jesus left heaven to come show you how to get to heaven. We all just want to go home. Several years ago, um, I shared a story about a weird story that happened right here in our town. It was about this couple, and they were on vacation, and, and they left West Palm. They drove in their RV. They went up to Daytona to see a race. They took their cat with them. And after the race, they did fireworks, and it scared the cat, and the cat jumped out of the RV and disappeared. They were upset, which is confusing because it was only a cat. <laughs> relax, relax, relax. And so they went looking for the cat, couldn't find the cat. And here's a weird thing. Six months later, a neighbor around the corner calls, and the cat showed up. And, and, and I want to show you, there's the cat sticking his tongue out at you and me right now. Here's a picture of the family. This is Holly the cat, and there's the cat. They said, by the time the cat walked 190 miles, all the pads on its feet had been worn off. But it found its way home. You know what I think? I think we're all just wanting to get home. And we want a place for our faith. Part of the reason I, I named the series Come Home is I want to push on this narrative in December. Another reason I'm saying it, I'll just, I'll just tell you, shameless idea. I want, I want people to come back home. I want you to come back to in-person gathering. If you're listening to me online, you're watching. I want to, want to ask you maybe to think about coming back. There's something about this space. We're all looking for a way to get home. One, one other quick idea. You know the most po popular song of the Christmas season is a song that Bing Crosby popularized in 1943. You know it. I'll be home for Christmas. You can what? 
count on me. It was written as a symbol for those in World War II who would not be able to come home that we remembered. And still yet on this day of the top 100 songs of what is referred to as America's Songbook, it's number 50. See, there are spiritual realities behind our traditions. We're going to use December to focus on them so that we all know we have a true home in heaven. Lord, I pray for my friends that you'll use this space in December to help us come out of isolation, to help us come out of our loneliness, to help us come out of our shame, to help us move the needle in whatever way we need to move in our lives so that we can recognize your truth and your grace, your lordship, your willingness to extend grace beyond measure so that we can find our way home to you. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a round of applause. So I want to tell you my prayer for you in December. I do pray for you, right? Here's my prayer. This December's different. This December, you will come to know Jesus, this Christ, in ways you've yet to know him. And that your movement in that space will impact your family, those around your family, and perhaps even our community, our nation, and our world. Here comes heaven, Lord. We're ready. Would you build that sort of anticipation in our heart so that we may know you, Jesus Christ, and who you represent. This we pray in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Go in his grace. Go in his hope. Go in his light. We'll see you next weekend.